0: The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to preach to you this morning about the misery of sin. We're about to close 1 Samuel. We're about to end up with that. And, and we're going to begin in this 28th chapter of 1 Samuel, but we're going to, we've are going we already dealt with some first two verses and we're going to deal, already dealt with verse, chapters 29 and 30. We're going to deal with most of chapter 28 and all of chapter 31. And what we're going to deal with today is the final chapter in the life of King Saul. You know, 1 Samuel opened up with the birth of a a baby that was to be a great prophet. And it closes with the death of a guilty man, King Saul, the first king of the nation of Israel. 1 Samuel begins with God speaking to young Samuel, the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. And it closes with God refusing to speak with Saul, the first of the kings of Israel. 1 Samuel, you might say, is the record of man's king. 2 Samuel will be the record of God's king. Man chose a king, Saul. God chose King David to be the king over them. And probably the most important lesson that we can learn both from the life of David, but especially from the life of King Saul, is that whenever we move away from God, we are moving toward trouble. Saul and David, they were both like that. And here we see the final chapters in Saul's life. He is a man in misery because of the unrepented sin in his life. I believe from this record we'll find and we'll be able to be convinced this morning that he was a child of God. We as primitive Baptists believe in perseverance in the sense of we ought to persevere in grace, but we don't believe in perseverance in the sense that, that we will absolutely persevere in good works. I want to say to you, child of God, one of the things that lessons that I hope we get from this today is the potential in every one of us for going to the same place Saul went. For dying in the same way Saul died. And of course, the last thing that we need to always keep in mind, and it's the undergirding foundation I trust for your life and for mine, is praise God that even though we may get as far away from God as King Saul got, God never got so far away from Saul that Saul won't be in heaven when we get there. I think we'll be able to see from this that he was a child of God. But, oh, child of God, what a lesson we must learn from the lives of people like Saul and Lot. Lot is someone that if you looked at his life, at the end of his life, you would say, oh, there's no way he was really a child of God. And that's what a lot of the perseverance teaching is, is that if you don't persevere, you never were one in the first place. Praise God it's not that way. Now, that doesn't mean we got a license to go out and live like we want to. We ought to persevere in good works. We ought not do the things that Saul and Lot did. But I'm so thankful we're in the hands of a sovereign and a grace-filled almighty God. So this morning I want us to look at the misery of sin. And we'll look at it in the context of the life of Saul. And we'll begin reading in chapter 28 and verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those, those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Keep that thought. We'll come back. That's important. We'll come back to it shortly. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams nor by Urim nor by prophets. I want you to see here what's about to open up on this last phase. It's like, a, it's like a movie opening up. The first scene of the last phase of Saul's life is opening up on a night of distress for Saul. A night of distress for this man who has moved away from God. The first thing we read about here is Saul's fear. Now chapter 3, I mean verse 3 rather, tells us that Samuel was dead. And we'd already read about that earlier, but that sort of gives us the understanding of why the Philistines were getting ready to attack at this point. God's prophet was dead and it seemed to be the most opportune time for the enemies of God to come in. Let me just say to you that sometimes uh, I've seen it happen in churches when when maybe there's been a preacher or a pastor in a church that's been there for a long time and has been a good sound minister and that person moves off the scene, that's a good time for the enemies of God to come in and start attacking. I've seen churches fall when a, when a long time, especially a sound uh, minister has, uh, has been at a church and then, and then that person dies, or he leaves that church, and then the next thing you know, the enemies of God come in and take that opportunity to attack. I'm telling you this because uh, that could happen here. Not that I'm this great preacher or pastor or anything, but but I've been here for a while, and, I, and Lord willing, I'll be here for a while. But my point is this: is that if that situation occurs, where maybe I'm here for 20 years, or maybe maybe I pass on off the scene, and you ha- you get a you get a better preacher like Brother Buddy in here that this year for 20 years, but. But at the point where, where you've had a strong leader, at a point where you've had a sound man of God, and that man moves on, that's when the enemies of God will take an opportunity to attack. And that's why it's incumbent upon each of you and me and all of us to be grounded in the Word of God and to be sound in the faith, you see. But be that as it may, the Philistines had gathered themselves together and they were getting ready to attack In verse 5, when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. Now, I'm not going to take time to review the whole life of Saul, but I think we know what's happening here. Saul has been rebellious. He's been an enemy of God in many ways. He's been opposed to God. He's not listened to God. When God has sent opportunities upon him, to uh, repent of his evil doing you know the first thing that happened is instead of instead of falling on his knees and repenting after he disobeyed God and in the matter of the Amalekites all he listened to his advisors they said let's just let's just get him somebody that'll soothe his symptoms you know Let's give him an aspirin. Let's don't, let's don't give him the full-blown chemotherapy that will take care of the problem. Let's just, let's just dull the pain. Let's just, so he got David to come in and start playing the harp. And when he would get all down and depressed and the evil spirit would come upon him, he'd just kind of be able to get away from it all and the music that David he would check out and the music that David would provide for him, you see. He didn't have this repentant heart, even from the beginning. And you know the rest of the story. Jealousy and anger and ultimately murder was in his heart. And when the time came where he was about to fight the greatest battle of his career, he was away from God. He was not in the will of God. He was not in fellowship with God. And I want to say to you, brethren, that's a bad place to be. It's a bad place to be when you're not in fellowship with God and a crisis comes up in your life. And I say, we read about it here, but preacher, do you know anything about it? I sure do. I sure do. Because You know what? I've been there. I suspect you may have been there too, but I know I've been there. I've been there when, when the crisis arises and I know my life and my heart are not right with God. Now, understand me when I use that phrase. I always have to explain it, because in the Armenian world, that means getting right with God to go to heaven. But I'm talking about those whose hearts have been pricked by the Holy Spirit, those who have been born again, your heart can also be not right with God. Depending on how you're studying, depending on how close you are in fellowship with Him, your heart, you know, may not be right with God. He told us, Paul told, or Peter told Simon the sorcerer over there in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, thy heart is not right with God, but we we understand he was a child of God. Our hearts need to be right with God, beloved. We need to be close to him because when the crisis comes, we need God's fellowship. We need his foundation. We need him to be with us and not against us. I need to be able to flee to his throne of grace, but we're going to see in a minute that there's times... There's times when God, it's, it's as if the throne room of God is closed up to us. And it's not because of God. God's not the problem. Fear, born of a lack of faith and a guilty conscience, had overtaken Saul. And look at verse 6. Look at Saul's failure here. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim nor by prophets. Now, all that's talking about there is those were the ways God engaged with his people in that day. Sometimes by dreams, sometimes by urim, which were the, the ephod and those various things that the priests use in order to discern the will of God, and the prophets, none of them, were open to Saul when he inquired of the Lord. It's one of the saddest verses in the Bible to me. It's also one of the one of the Versus it strikes fear into my heart. Because you know I've been there. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Where you open your mouth or you open your heart and you try to pray to God and you feel like He's not there. (laughs) You just feel like He's not listening. Now there are times when that happens and it's not your fault. It's not, it's not you that's the problem. There are times when that happens, when the world and, and the devil is trying to deceive you and, and the flesh is you know, trying to deceive you. There are times when, when that, that is happening and it's not your fault. But there are times, beloved, and I've been there when it was my fault that I couldn't feel the presence of the Lord. I've been out of the will of God. I can write a book about what it means to be out of the will of God. And it's not a pretty place to be. It says that he tried praying, but apparently he had waited too long. Now, let me, let me qualify that by saying this. It's never too late to repent, to confess, to humble yourself before God. It's never too late. Now, it may be too late for the consequences of your sin not to come upon you. It can get to that point. But it's never too late to feel the fellowship, to to fall on your knees in in repentance and confession and feel the fellowship of God. But I want you to remember something very important, child of God. God is not the great bellhop of heaven. God is not the great grocer in the sky. (laughs) You sit in your list and say, here's what I need, Lord. Here's what I want, Lord. He doesn't say, oh, let me hop to it. I'll go get you whatever you want. He's not a genie in a bottle that you can rub and get him to come out and give you three wishes. God is the great holy God of heaven. And when we live a life of rebellion against Him, He's not going to respond in the way He may not respond at all to us. Psalm 66 and verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I believe that verse as strongly as I believe Ephesians 1 and 4. (laughs) It's true, child of God. If we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord's not going to listen to us. Now, that's not talking about that we've got to be sinlessly perfect before Him because we know that David was not sinlessly perfect. But David was a man who did not, and when he says regard, he means puts it on a pedestal and, and, and you know, has great regard for it, you see. You know, so many times in my life, I want to keep one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdoms of this world. We all have that, don't we? And, 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 and there's a sense in which we have to live that way because we're not out of this world. We live in this world. But the, the question is, do you regard this world? Do you regard it in your heart? Do you regard the iniquity? Is there some pet sin that you just don't want to get rid of and say, well, I'll just ask the Lord to forgive me. I'll do it, but i ask the Lord to forgive me. You know what Hebrews writer, I believe it is, he said, he said when we sin willfully, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of the judgment of God, which is just. <laughs> You know, God is a great loving God, but he's also a just God. And one of the great things about God is that one day he's going to set right all the wrongs of this world. Amen. Now, we get high and lifted up about that sometimes. And I get excited. I'm excited about it. We ought to rejoice in that. <laughs> That's one of the things that the, they're singing about in heaven today, that he's the creator and he's the just God. And he's 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 created all things for himself and he's going to set it all right one day. But lest we get too high and lifted up, let's remember that you and I are in that same category. <laughs> We're in the same category of having having iniquity in our lives and having problems in our lives, sin in our hearts. I'm not talking about the fact that we've got to be sinlessly perfect. But here's what he's saying. Don't be elevating sin above God. Right. I, I am a sinner above all sinners. I believe in my own heart. But I hate it. I hate it. Now you know, yeah, there's I'm schizophrenic. There's times I love it. (laughs) Okay? Yeah, Yeah, I love it sometimes. But 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 my heart of hearts, I hate it. You know that's what the new birth does. New birth doesn't take away sin, but it sure changes your mind about it. It makes you hate it. I hate what I do. Paul says the same thing He's not, that which I would I do not that which I would not that I do he comes to the conclusion oh wretched man that I am <laughs> who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Mm. You no know, that's where I am and that's where Saul was but now Saul was in a little different category as well and you and I need to be we need to understand that and be able to avoid it because he had lived a life of rebellion against God he was in willful constant rebellion against God and he knew better twice he came across David, and David could have killed him. And they had an encounter where they, you know, David was smart enough not to go down into, the, into, into his enemy's face and talk to him because he knew he would kill him. But he stayed a little ways away from him, which teaches us a great lesson, by the way, that we can engage with our enemies, but we better do it at a distance. The enemies of God don't need to be in our circle of communion, okay? They need to be at a distance. But this man who was a child of God, I believe, just like David was, they talked with each other, and both times he said, You're exactly right, David. I know better than what I'm doing. And then he went right back into doing the same thing again. See, he was living a life of rebellion And the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Perhaps he was thinking about Saul. You know, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says that uh, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I I realize the world mixes that up and makes makes you think that has to do with going to heaven. That doesn't have to do with going to heaven, child of God. That has to do with here and now. That has to do with your walk with God right now. Don't don't think that's a one-time prayer that you have to pray to get to heaven. (laughs) That's not a one-time prayer. That's not not anything you can do to get to heaven. But that's a constant state of confession that you ought to be in and I ought to be in. Confessing our sins. And not just, you know, I've heard this confession. Well, if I've done anything wrong, Lord, forgive me. (laughs) That's not much of a confession, is it? (laughs) Oh, you know... You ever heard somebody come and apologize to you and say, if I've offended you in any way, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Well, sometimes, you know, I've said that too and I realize we sometimes are sincere in what we're saying, but that's not much of an apology, you know. You need to go to somebody and say, brother, I have done this and this and that and the other and I'm sorry for it. When we confess to God, it ought to be that way. Lord, I know I did this today. I took your name in vain. I lived in a way that wasn't, wasn't uh pleasing to you i've done i've been uh mean to my family i've been ugly to somebody you know whatever it is you need to confess it you know one of the best confessions that you'll ever read is psalm 51 psalm 51 let's look at it just for a second this isn't particularly where i wanted to go today but but i think we ought to look at it just for a second chapter 51 and this is notice the caption of Psalm 51 we're gonna come back to this and I believe this is the difference between David and Saul this is the difference between God's dealings with David and Saul notice the caption of the psalm to the chief musician a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba oh what a prophet he was (laughs) he walked up to the king the one that had power of life and death over him and he pointed in his face and said thou art the man that's what the Holy Spirit does to us I'll tell you that's what he does to us our conscience our conscience walks up to us sometimes and points us in the face and says you are the man that has sinned against God but notice Saul would try to continue to uh, hide his sin and to cover his sin but notice what David said have mercy upon me O God according to thy loving kindness according to the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions He didn't say, I slipped up here, Lord, you know, I'm sorry, and I'm gonna go to rehab and get better, you know. He said, you know, is that that not what, let me just get off on a tangent for a second. I've been reading, as you have, I'm sure, seeing on TV, this wave of sexual harassment and sexual assault allegations that have come out, and um, things that have been going on, as you and I know, in Hollywood for years. And isn't it amazing when someone gets caught like that, they say, well, I'm going to go check into rehab and uh, and we'll get my life back together. There's been very few people, but there's been very, I haven't seen Harvey Weinstein or anybody else fall down on their, I'm waiting to see one of those senators or representatives fall down on his face in in the well of the Senate there and say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm waiting to see that. I hadn't seen that yet. I hadn't seen that yet. I've seen a lot of people sorry they got caught. Saul was sorry he got caught. That's the difference in Saul and David. David, on the other hand, said, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He wasn't concerned about social media. He wasn't concerned about He'd had his sin covered up. He could have had Nathan killed. He could have said, Nathan, come here, old boy. We're going to get rid of you now and cover up right. the sin even further. Right. But he didn't do that. He said, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And notice verse 4. And you need to keep this in mind, child of God. You and I need to remember this. We always talk about somebody having done me wrong. I've done you wrong. I've sinned against you. You had not you sinned against me. I had not sinned against you. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. He's talking to God. Not the congregation. Not the media. Not even the victim. Against thee, God, thee only, have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. You know, I, I like to hear, I like to be in front of a judge that is clear when he renders his decision. Sometimes they don't, they're they not as clear as they should be, but I want to say to you, the great judge of all the earth is clear <laughs> when he renders his decision. He, he is clear. Because you know why? Because I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You see... David confessed, but that's not that's not where we are in the life of Saul. We're not at that point because Saul has lived a life of denial, a life of rebellion, a life of covering up. And now he's at the point where God will not hear him. Now over in we don't we won't turn there. We don't have have time, but in in the third chapter of Matthew and In Luke's writing, I believe it's the third chapter as well, John the Baptist comes on the scene. He says, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preaches the same message later. And he tells those Pharisees and those listening to him, he said, you bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. And what he's saying there, and we understand it today, to mean that that in order to come into the kingdom of God, the visible aspect of it, the church of the living God, then there's there's some changes in life in living that need to be made. If you're living in sin, you need to quit living in sin. If you if you're if there's a habitual sin in your life, you need this this public and open. Particularly, you need to change that. You know you need to repent and bring forth fruits meet for repentance. Those that are suitable or befitting uh, uh, repentance. That is there's a difference in your life, and that's a different repentance than what's given in the new birth. You can't have this kind of repentance if you haven't already been granted repentance or a change of mind in the new birth. But what he's talking about here is he says you bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. You change the way you're doing things. You know, if you're a a person that doesn't like people, you need to get over that if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God. (laughs) You need to become, you know, I, I'm like anybody else. I just soon go home and shut the doors and lock everybody out and have nobody. Don't be hospitable. Don't don't be around people anymore. It's a whole lot easier, you know, than to have to deal with one another. <laughs> you know, I might make you mad. You might make me mad. It's just a lot easier to stay home. But you can't do that if you can be part of the kingdom of God. That's right. You can't be. Uh, You can't be angry and you can't be short-tempered. You can't be, you know, what if every time we had a business meeting and somebody had a position that they wanted about this building, that they stood up and started demanding and yelling and screaming? You know, I've heard of that happening in business meetings in primitive Baptist churches. It can happen. But I want to say to you, it's not appropriate for the kingdom of God. There needs to be some repentance and some changing in your way of dealing with people and your way of looking at things if you're going to be part of the kingdom of God. But Saul's heart was filled with iniquity. Saul was still in rebellion. And you know, when you're in rebellion against God, living in continual sin without any iota of repentance or confession did you know it's as if you haven't even asked of god and the heavens will be silent look at first chronicles just for a minute chapter 10 i want you to listen what it said now remember we just read that saul inquired of the lord and the lord answered him not but in first chronicles chapter 10 in verse 13 this is another account of this the death of saul he says so saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for counsel, asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. And listen to this, and inquired not of the Lord. Wait a minute, it says Saul inquired of the Lord. <laughs> this it says he inquired not. What's, what gives? Is that an inconsistency? No. What he's telling us is this. When you're, in, when you're regarding iniquity in your heart, it's as if you're not even asking God. Yeah. Notice what he said. Remember what he said in Psalm 66:18. 18? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The <laughs> Lord doesn't even hear it. When you're, you've got the idol of iniquity in your heart yeah. elevated above God, it's as if you're not even inquiring of Him. And, and as I said already, there's nothing worse than being out of fellowship with God and facing a crisis in your life that's why it's so important to try to stay as close to god as you can and now look as we continue here at saul's fall his fall here verse 7 of 1st samuel 28 then said saul unto his servants seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit that i may go to her and inquire of her now wait a minute we just read i told you to remember it in verse 3 saul had put away those that had familiar spirits he had, he had put away the wizards and the familiar, those that had familiar spirits out of the land. He had already decreed death for them. Exodus 22 and 18 says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Now let me just also take a just a moment to step aside from the message and say to you young folks, but older folks, all of us, do not go to these people today. Do not deal with them today. You know, out here on... Highway 82, there's going toward Columbus, and then there's one, I think, going into Tuscaloosa. There's a Mrs. Lamar who says she can read your palm and she can conjure up, you know, do seances, conjure up the dead. You know what God said about that? He said, in the time of the Old Testament, you're not to allow a witch to live, you're not to have them among you, you're not to be a part of that because. What you're doing here when you do that is you're saying it's not enough to walk by faith. I don't have enough in the Word of God. I need to go talk to some spirits out there. And let me just say to you, you know, you say, well, that's just a bunch of hocus-pocus stuff. Well, we're going to see here that in that day, she was actually able to conjure somebody up. Now, I believe we'll talk about that in a minute. I believe it was by a special dispensation of God that he allowed Samuel to come up but I believe these, these women, these men who are witches and necromancers and uh, people that do all these palm readings and all that, I believe there's some of them that probably have contact with the demonic forces of this world. You know, there, there actually are demons, did you know that? There are actually demons in this world. There's actually dark angels. Uh, I don't know what all they are, fallen angels, some kind of demons that are the minions of Satan that have the ability to communicate with people. We saw it in the Old Testament days. Now, we've talked about how Satan, I believe, has been bound. and We don't see as much of that, but as as he's loosed for a little season, we may see more and more. Don't go to these folks. You'll get in trouble. And God is not pleased when his children seek unto those that have familiar spirits as opposed to inquiring of him. So he he does this. He goes to this woman that has a familiar spirit. And I want you to notice what a deliberate sinner and a hypocrite Saul is. He had put these uh, people away. He had had them slain. He had gotten rid of them out of the land. And yet he goes to one now and he conjures up. He has her conjure up Samuel. I want you to look with me just for a minute over in Ezekiel chapter 14. I like this little passage here. Verse 7. Of course, Ezekiel is prophesying to a rebellious people. Verse 6. Let's just begin there and you'll see the context. Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent and turn yourselves from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. That's God's way. God's way is for you and I to turn away from our idols and the abominations of sin in our life and turn to Him. Because here's the other option. Verse 7. For every one of the house of Israel, or the stranger which sojourneth in Israel, which separateth himself from me, and setteth up idols in his, his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face. Hello? Is that Saul? Does that not fit his situation perfectly? Now listen to this. And cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I the Lord will answer him by myself and I will set my face against that man and will make him a sign and a proverb and I will cut him off from the midst of my people and you shall know that I am the Lord. (laughs) Sound like a pretty angry response from God, doesn't it? Let's keep reading here just a little bit. In chapter 28 of 1 Samuel, let's see what kind of response God gives. Then said Saul, verse 7, unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself, and put on other raiment, and he went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman. And I'm going to, for lack of time, just sort of summarize this. He goes to her and says, I want you to bring me up someone, you know, divine unto me by the familiar spirit and bring up someone that I ask you. She says, listen, you know, Saul said we can't do this (laughs) on pain of death. And Saul even swears by the Lord and says, as the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Verse 11, then said the woman, whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, bring me up Samuel. And then the gig was up, so to speak. Uh, she figured out what was going on. And, and notice what happened. <laughs> notice what happened. Apparently, God, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people that argue, theologians argue about what happened. It wasn't really Samuel and God won't let that. But, you know, my God is all powerful. He can do anything he wants to. So I believe what he did here and believe based on the context here that I believe he, allowed, he suffered Samuel to be brought back up. Verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice and spoke to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me, without thou art Saul? She knew then what was up. <laughs> and he went on to say, Don't, don't be afraid. I'm not going to do anything. And she says, he asked her what she saw. And he, she described this old man coming up covered with a, man, a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he bowed down. And in verse 15, I want you to listen to the angry response that God gave Saul through Samuel. And Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? Now, let me stop here and just say this. One of the reasons I believe this is Samuel (laughs) is he said, you remember we talked about uh, Lazarus before? We talked about how Lazarus, you know, apparently when he died, according to the word of God, you go into the presence of God himself. He was basking in the glory of God and his spirit. And all of a sudden he hears Lazarus come forth (laughs) and he's got to come back. You know, poor. I've heard Mark Lowry, the Christian comedian, talk about poor old Lazarus. He had to die again. You know, he came back, and he uh, and he was he was perfectly happy where he was. Notice what Samuel says. He says, "Why are you disturbing me? I'm happy. I'm fine where I am. I don't want to come back down here." You know, often we think about that with loved ones, and let me just say to you that I, I get it. I miss my loved ones, but you don't really want them back. You don't really want to disquiet them. Because they're in perfect peace and bliss. What we really want is to go to be with them, you see. Samuel said, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? Saul answered, I am sore distressed. For the Philistines make war against me. God has departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, wherefore then dost thou ask of me Seeing the Lord has departed from thee and has become thine enemy. This is a child of God speaking here. And we're going to see in a minute why I believe that particularly. What a sad state for a child of God to get in. What a sad state for any of us to get in. And we could, child of God. What a warning this is. To become the enemy of God. I've got enemies out there But I want to say, I don't ever want to be the enemy of God. Because he's the one that never loses a battle. Verse 17, And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me. For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel... With thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. I know where Samuel is. That tells me Saul's going there too. Saul and his sons. Jonathan, one of the greatest, most faithful children of God we've ever seen. He'll be together with his sons. He says, tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. Saul was a child of God. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. You remember what we read in Ezekiel about the angry response? Uh, God said, I will set my face against that man that has set up idols in his heart and and comes to inquire me. I'll make him a sign and a proverb. I'll cut him off from the midst of my people. (laughs) Hadn't Hadn't Saul become a sign and a proverb to us today? See, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be at that part the message was anger from God and the result in verse 20 is Saul fell straightway all along on the earth and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel and there was no strength in him for he had eaten no bread all the day and all the night and the rest of this chapter just tells us about how the woman implored him to eat and finally got him to eat and finally Saul gets up and goes back to the battle with one of the most hopeless messages from God in this life that anyone's ever received what a night of distress and that leads us to a day in chapter thirty-one of defeat a day of defeat chapter thirty-one is the final curtain call for Saul now the Philistines fought against Israel and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa notice what happened on this day of defeat Saul who had been in rebellion against God, who had become the enemy of God, who who, as a child of God had no access to God in this life. He first lost his army. Some men deserted, some died on the battlefield, but the whole army was defeated. He had no prayers from any prophet like Samuel. He had no blessings from God. And the army of Israel under his leadership was destined for defeat, and Joshua chapter twenty three, in verse eight, we read what happens when God is with you. In verse eight he says, But cleave unto the Lord your God, as ye have done unto this day, and this is Joshua speaking to the elders of Israel here. He says, For the Lord hath driven out from before you a great nation, and strong great nations and strong, but as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, it is He that fighteth for you as He hath promised you. That's what happens when God's with you. What happens when God is against you is that the men of Israel fall down slain in Mount Gilboa. Saul lost his army and then Saul, Saul lost his life. Look at verse 2. The Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua. Saul's sons. What a horrible situation for a father to be in. To watch as his children are slain because of his sin. Because of his rebellion. And we read that the battle went sore and the archers hit hit Saul and he was sore wounded to the archers. Verse 4, Saul said unto his armor bearer, draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith. Lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. He fell upon the sword himself, fearing that he would be tortured to death and that he would be humiliated. He chose to end his own life. You know, I just thought about this as I was studying. Over in 1 John chapter 5, there's a funny statement made there. Verse 16. John says, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. Listen to this. There is a sin unto death. I did not say that he shall pray for it. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? There's a sin unto death. You know, I believe Saul committed that sin unto death. Now, what is that sin unto death? So you mean, you mean to tell me, preacher, that, that if God tells me to go slay the Amalekites and I don't do it, that that'll, that's, that's the sin unto death. That was for Saul. <laughs> and actually, the sin unto death for Saul was going out and seeking a, a familiar spirit. So if I do that, God's going to kill me. Well, not necessarily, because I believe the sin unto death is not the particular facts of what he did, but it's the condition of the heart as he did it. See, that sin unto death is that rebellion against God, that refusal, willful refusal to repent and acknowledge Mm -hmm. your sin before God. And you could go so far that finally Saul got there where God said, okay, that's it. I'm taking you home. You're no more earthly good to me. I'm gonna take you home. Saul lost his life for failure to confess and repent. There's no help for this sin. You know, I've had the unfortunate situation more than once of having to tell someone who I believe is a child of God that I can't help you anymore because the only help for you in the Word of God and in the kingdom of God is in repentance. But apart from repentance, there's no help for you. Child of God, I want you to understand something. Apart from repentance and confession, there's no help for you in this book. There's no help for you here. You cannot cannot be a rebellious, obstinate child of God and be a profitable member of the kingdom of God. You'll be in heaven one day. I believe these people I've dealt with and talked to, they'll be in heaven one day but they cannot experience the heaven on earth that God has given us through his kingdom. That's right. You and I mm-hmm. ought never get in that position. Saul sinned a sin unto death, and he lost his life, and he lost his honor. <laughs> look at verse 6. It says, Saul died, his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men that same day together. And look, at, when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley And they that were on the other side of Jordan saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead. They forsook the cities and fled and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa and they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people and they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. What a dishonorable end to an honorable child of God. What a dishonorable end for a man who started out in the kingdom of God with so much promise. They took great joy in mutilating his body and even put his armor in the house of their own idols. And I think that one of the sadder parts of this story is verse seven. And you remember this, child of God, when a great man or woman in the kingdom of God falls, it causes others to fear and flee. You know, we know how that works. We've seen it. We've seen great, prominent preachers, and I'm not necessarily talking about in our uh, in the Primitive Baptists, but just think about some of the great, uh, so-called Christian. Preachers, TV preachers, and people that are prominent in this world, when they fall, what does that do to others out here? That they, they may not have even been accurate on the truth of God's grace, but they fall and say, Well, I don't want to have anything to do with church. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving. You know, though, it can happen in the kingdom of God. Yes. It's happened in churches, primitive Baptist churches. It has happened. If you, I, I'm aware of at least one or two situations where a prominent member of a primitive Baptist church committed a great heinous sin and failed and it caused so many people to lose faith and a whole family even to leave the kingdom of God. So sad. So sad. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this up because our time is short. What are the lessons that we can learn here? Well, first of all, we learn a lesson about the power of sin. We've already mentioned it children of God can sin just as badly as Saul or Lot have done. And sin always multiplies. As I've said before, it's like a fire. When firefighters are fighting a fire, they're either getting the best of it or it's getting the best of them. It's never static. You don't reach detente. You don't reach stalemate in the war against sin. Sin always multiplies and you will drag others down with you. Notice that Saul's army was lost, his sons were killed, and others were disaffected and left the place where they thought they were safe. But then I want you to notice something else, that even in the midst of a terrible day like this, there is is an opportunity, there is a potential for devotion there's a potential for you to remain devoted even when a great man like Saul falls. Notice verse 11, 12, and 13 of chapter 31. When the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshon and came to Jabesh and burned them there and they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. If you remember, if you're familiar with your your scriptures, you'll know that in the 11th chapter of this same um, book of 1 Samuel, the first victory that Saul won had been the deliverance of Jabesh Gilead from the Ammonites. And these people here had not forgotten that. And they traveled, according to the uh, geography there, if it's correct, they traveled some 15 or 20 miles at night, crossing the Jordan River, crossing through enemy territory to show Saul some respect and to, and to try to take down some of the dishonor that had been done to the kingdom of God. They traveled over there and buried his sons under a tree, and they performed this daring act to give encouragement to the rest of those around. You know, the point is this, that even in times when a great man falls, we can remain devoted. Just remember that, that God is not a man. God is not wrapped up in a man. I pray that the Lord, I, 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 I struggle and try every day to remain devoted to God. It's, you know, and I fail so much, but I, but I try to remain devoted to God because I don't want to be the cause of someone else stumbling. I don't want to be the cause of a weaker brother stumbling. But if I fall, beloved, if I fall, remember that God is faithful. And I'm not saying that as, I'm thinking about it. OK, I'm not thinking about falling. I'm, I'm trying not to. I don't want to do anything that would bring disrepute to the kingdom of God. But even when it happens, even when Moses strikes the rock twice, when he should have spoken to it, the Lord is merciful to his people and he send, sends water anyway. You see, we can remain devoted in times of trial like this. And remember the purposes of God as well. You remember how we talked about how how God had intervened in David's situation? He didn't do that here for Saul. Why? There's not a clear answer, but, but I believe the implication is that the heart of Saul and the heart of David were different. Saul had a heart only for himself. David had a heart for God. David continually repented and fell on his knees and acknowledged his sin. Saul's heart was hardened and immovable and David's heart was soft and easily broken. Oh, child of God, what a sad day it is for the nation of Israel. What a sad time it is in the kingdom of God. There have been those times in the New Testament days too. There have been those times when there have been sad days. But as we continue seeing, reading about David, we're going to learn that God is still in the business of blessing his people. Amen. And the last thing I want to leave you with is this. Saul was a sorry excuse for King. In many ways, he was a sorry excuse for child of God. But God is a great God. Amen. And I remember what um, I remember what I read of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, what he said. In the latter waning years of his life, as his memory began to fail him, he said two things I do remember: I am a great sinner; Christ is a great Savior. Saul will be in heaven, Amen. in spite of his works. Amen. Samuel mourned for Saul, and as as he told Saul, as we're told in the 15th chapter, there, first Samuel, he came no more to see him till the day of his death. Amen. On the day of his death, he saw him again. Here, one day we'll be together. It was. He, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter how bad we, we have disappointed God and how bad we have sinned against Him, God's grace is sufficient to cover it. But oh, how we want to be warriors in His kingdom. Let's be a David, a man after God's own heart, and not Saul, a man with a cold heart against God. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.